From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio, fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. Legislators in Ohio are returning from their summer break, and now it's time for them to start focusing on fulfilling their promises, on constitutional carry, on passing our emergency powers bill, on enabling school personnel to once again carry in schools. That's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek. Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and I'm joined by Rob Sexton, BFA's Legislative Affairs Director, our man in the Ohio State House. Hi, Rob. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Dean. It's good to be with you. Well, Rob, we're seeing legislators finally come back from summer break. I mean, I guess that uh, must be nice. I, I have some teachers in the family, and they get the summer off. Uh, I think a lot of people don't know that legislators take the summer off too, and they're finally now getting back to work. How does how does all that work with uh, summer break? How how long are they off, and and what exactly are they doing when they just leave the state house? Yeah, I think you know we we tend to think of the work that legislators do is the hearings on bills, or of course session on the floor, but a lot of the work that legislators do is back in their district, right? So. You know, they'll be meeting with constituents, they'll be meeting with their local officials, gathering information. And, and then, of course, you know, there's a, obviously uh, some smattering of campaigning that's going on during that time. So, you know, officially it's called summer break. I don't think it's fair to say that they're on vacation, but they are on a break from being at the state house. And during that time, nothing advances. So every piece of legislation is just basically put on hold during the summer recess and that is that all came to an end this week so they're back in columbus now that doesn't mean that we have not been doing anything we've obviously been working with legislators all this time but i guess uh, the the way i kind of look at it it's you know if you've ever seen a bunch of cats they're all together you make a noise and then they scatter right uh that's kind of what happens to legislators and they're all over the state it makes it more difficult to get things done but we're still working. I mean, we've been working all summer, but the summer's almost over. I mean, that ends, I think, next week, right, on the 22nd. That's the official end of summer, the beginning of fall. I mean, it's, uh, wow, can't believe it's going by this fast. No, you know, this entire year has been a blur. And, you know, the one thing to know about the fall session as opposed to the you know beginning of the year is it's not very long. Uh, and then you get into the holidays pretty quick. So... Now that they're back, you know, it's time to get some stuff done, uh, and that's going to be our primary focus over the next few weeks. Now, we have a lot of bills that are out there right now, and for our listeners, if you want to take a look at bills we support and bills we oppose, we always have these on the website. Go to BuckeyeFirearms.org, and there's a link up at the top for legislation, just click on that, and you can see the whole list. There's there's quite a few bills that we that we support that we'd love to see passed, but 
there are some priority bills. So, uh, Rob, why don't we, in this podcast, talk about some of our priorities and what we really want to get past this legislative session. And just to be clear, the legislative sessions in Ohio are two years long. So we started a new session at the beginning of this year, and it runs through the holidays, through next year, right up to December 31st of next year, right? Yes, that's right. So we have our really like top of the heap, the cream of the crop bills that we really want to get passed. We'd love to see all of them passed, but I would say the one, if we were going to pass one bill, that's going to be constitutional carry. That's the brass ring. That's what we've wanted for a long time. And it appears we have quite a bit of support for that. We have a governor who has said he is on record as saying that he will sign it if it's put on his desk. We have we have legislators who have said they support that and have supported it for a long time. We have surveys where they say that they've supported that. Talk to us about this new constitutional carry bill, SB 215. Right. So Senate Bill 215 uh, is sponsored by our longtime friend, Senator Terry Johnson from Southern Ohio. Uh, it's a very... Uh, clear-cut worded bill in terms of the constitutional carry provision. It simply states anywhere that you can legally carry right now with a CHL permit uh, that you could carry without one, you know, provided you're legal. Uh, And so that's a very clear-cut, straightforward way to get at it. And that's the crux of Senator Johnson's bill. So it really just makes uh, the license optional, right? I mean, it doesn't change anything about self-defense it doesn't alter the use of lethal force or anything else. It's just, well, you can carry with or without a license. It's just that simple. That's right. You know, there's a couple other items in the bill that, of course, are firearm-related, but the, the portion that deals with constitutional carry, or as you more accurately put it, license-optional carry, because you can still get the permit if you like, you know, in case you want to uh, travel to other states and be able to, to carry. Uh, but if you don't want to get the permit, this bill would allow that to happen, and that's what Senator Johnson's bill does. Yeah, so I, I liken this to there, – there are two different flavors of constitutional carry. There's the Alaska flavor, and there's the Vermont flavor. So, you know, in Vermont, they don't even have a licensing system. So that sounds great, but what do you do when you go to another state? You know, because right. you need to have that piece of plastic in your wallet. Well, the Alaska system is better than that because – You can carry without a license in Alaska, but you can get that little piece of plastic if you want it, so you can go to other states, and if you get pulled over or stopped by law enforcement, you can show them the piece of plastic, and all is well. Right. Right. And, and, you know, for a lot of people, and me included, you know, we we travel every year across several states for vacation, for example, and and so I need that little piece of plastic in case uh, I am pulled over because, you know, uh, I'm a person like many. I'm going to carry when I travel, especially on long stretches of highway. Now, SB 215, uh, Senator Terry Johnson's constitutional carry bill, it also has a section in there about the duty to notify. So um, uh, why don't you talk about that? So Ohio is one of a minority of states that requires that if you are interacting with a police officer, whether you're pulled over, you know, for speeding, let's say, or maybe after a fender bender, 
that when you're approached by a police officer, you have to promptly notify uh, the officer that you are carrying. But the problem with that is, is that it's fairly randomly applied across the state, right? So what does promptly mean? You know, the, typically an officer will walk up to your car and, you know, uh, hi, Mr. Reek, can you, uh, you, you know, give me your license and registration? You know, do you, where are you headed tonight? You know, how fast you were going? Those type of questions. Do you blurt out, hold it? You know, I'm, I'm carrying right now and I need to tell you that, right? And if you don't, are you breaking the law? Or more frequently, you know, we hear stories about people who have been uh, approached by a second officer, you know, so the first officer has approached the car and they've gone back to their, their cruiser and a second officer comes up to the window. Do you have to inform them too? Or if you forget to inform them because you've been in a fender bender and you're a little shaken up, you know, those things come to, uh, come to light. We hear stories about these. And this is a criminal offense. So the better way to do it, the way most states do it, is this, this control is in the hands of the police officer. Uh, so if they ask, then you tell them. But the onus is not on you as the gun owner in this case. And, and that's something that needs to be cleaned up in Ohio law. We shouldn't criminalize behavior that at its very heart is not criminal. And, and that's been really mischaracterized. And I, I hate to knock on the police, but uh, the the police union guys who have testified against this, you know, other constitutional carry bills that, that have this or the duty to promptly notify uh, bills that we've had, they act like, well, you know, our police are not going to know that you have a firearm, right. that this, this is a, a safety issue. Well, no, it's not. They're, they're, they understand what this is. You just ask. Right. And it's a, it's a very simple issue. And, and I, with constitutional carry and removing the duty to notify, these are very simple changes. Yeah. I, I, I don't see what's radical about this at all. This, these are really just clarifying bills. If, a, if an officer asks you if you have a firearm, you have a responsibility to answer that question honestly. If you're going to carry a firearm, you have to obey all the laws the way you normally do. But carrying without a license, that's really a status offense. Right, and you're you're not really doing anything violent or criminal. You can have the option of, of having a license or not having a license. I, I don't see that either of these is really wacko or left field or radical in any way. It's not, and and you know now, Senator Johnson, his approach in this bill is he just simply removes your duty to notify in his bill. And you know there are some who would like to do it the other way, the way we just described, which is you know to put the power of this interaction in the hands of the law enforcement officer. And either way, the legislature does it. They're fixing this problem that criminalizes law-abiding gun owners. It needs to be fixed, whichever approach they take. This provision is not and should not be a reason why this bill does not move. Right, and something else that I would point out, and I always bring this up, that we have right now 21 other states that have constitutional carry in some form. You know, the laws vary a little bit, but 21 other states, that's about 40% of the country. Right. So so what is unusual or different about Ohio where, you know, th this constitutional carry concept works in all these other states but wouldn't work in Ohio? Yeah, and I think that it really gets down to some tough questions, right? Some questions that we need to be putting to our elected officials, right? So Ohio has a very large majority in both the House and Senate for the Republicans. And, you know, the Republican 
office holders are often the most loyal and strong Second Amendment voters, according to the information that they provide us every year. Uh, but when it comes to some of the tougher votes, oftentimes, you know, we're, we're put off to the end of session, you know, uh, last minute stuff. And at some point you have to ask the question, what, what's wrong with us, right? I mean, if, if they have this ability in Indiana right next door, or they have it, you know, in Texas, but why can't we have it here? Certainly politically, Republicans control the legislature. We've got a governor who's put it in writing that he would sign it. So there does come a point where you have to ask, at what point are you going to pass this absolute top priority of ours and, and frankly allow Ohioans to exercise their constitutional rights as guaranteed both by the Ohio Constitution and, of course, the United States Constitution. And we have a Supreme Court case coming up here pretty soon, just in a matter of weeks, actually, that's going to deal with Kerry. So, I mean, I think think what the future holds is that you can't put any barriers between citizens and owning firearms, certainly no large barriers. And you're not going to be able to do that for carrying either because it's not just bearing arms. I mean, it's not just keeping arms, it's bearing arms. It's keep and bear arms. That's what the Constitution says. So you have a right to own firearms and you have a right to carry firearms. And we have a right to do that, as you say, without having to jump through unnecessary hoops. So let's move on. Uh, That's constitutional carry. Oh, and, and just one other question before we move on, what, what about this other bill? Because there actually is another constitutional carry bill that was introduced earlier in the session, and we've seen other constitutional bills in the past introduced. So, you know, how does that work when we have two different bills? Well, you're, you're talking about House Bill 227, which, again, you know, that's a bill that we support. House Bill 227 is a bit more aggressive than Senate Bill 215. So, you know, it it not only provides a license uh, optional carry option, but it also opens up places that you currently cannot carry. So, you know, currently you can't carry in a house of worship without express permission from the church. You can't carry in government buildings, for example. This bill would repeal both of those restrictions. So that's the, the... you know, the, probably the most noteworthy difference between the two bills on the constitutional carry aspects of it. That bill's had a couple of hearings in the House. You know, I don't know what the prospects are for House Bill 227 yet. I would just say this, you know, we'd be, we'd be really thrilled if either bill became law. At some point, though, we also have to ask, what's the best approach to get it done? Senator Johnson's bill, Senate Bill 215, you know, it, it makes it wherever you can carry now, you can carry when his bill is law. That's a clean cut approach. It doesn't push any new envelopes. So I can see why, you know, the Senate might think that's the more direct approach to getting this done right now. House Bill 227, I think it takes to heart the Constitution. There's no constitutional reason why you shouldn't be allowed to carry wherever you go, including church. But, you know, you're pushing the envelope and, and, you know, at the end of the day, we have to be able to count the votes to get it done. So, for I think for BFA, the, the answer is just what's the quickest path, you, you know, to victory here, and that's the that's where we ought to go. So we have a couple other bills that are at the top of our priority list, and one of them, which we introduced with quite a bit of hoopla earlier, was the limiting government power during emergencies. And there's one in the House, one in the Senate, SB 185, 
That's the Senate Bill, HB 325. That's the House Bill. And I think this bears a little explanation. You know, we did, I think, a couple different podcasts on this. But, uh, you know, I want to make sure there's no confusion. This is not really about the pandemic. This is not about masks. This is not about the vaccines. This is not about Governor DeWine or anything like that. This is about taking proactive action to make sure that we don't have a problem in the future when there's a declared emergency. Right. You know, when crises happen, it brings light to these things, right? So in this case, we saw governments, not here in Ohio, but elsewhere, creating restrictions on firearms or or your ability to purchase a firearm, for example, because of the COVID emergency. You know, Dean, I'm, I'm sure you'll remember all the restrictions that came about uh, the actions taken by the government down in New Orleans in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. So when you have a crisis, government declares an emergency, which gives them emergency powers that they wouldn't normally have. And it brings to light the vulnerability that exists in Ohio law. So right now in Ohio law, they didn't do it, but they could have shut down gun stores the way they did in some other states. They could have shut down concealed handgun license processing and things like that. So realizing with the sweeping power that the government showed off in Ohio and across the entire country, we found it prudent that we spell out in law that the Second Amendment doesn't expire during a time of crisis. In fact, that it's more essential during a time of crisis and it should be protected. And that's, that's what the emergency powers bills are about. Yeah, I mean, I think we were lucky in Ohio, but we still had problems. You know, we had the sheriff's offices shut down. We did have gun stores and ranges shut down. They weren't, you know, attacked directly, but they were shutting down for the same reasons that uh, restaurants and other businesses were. But, uh, you know, uh, because you and I started talking about this really early on, and we decided, you know, let's, let's really go all out on this. This is something that I think a lot of people don't understand. We have preemption in Ohio. So there's home rule on most topics so that cities can pass their own laws. But when it comes to guns, there is what we refer to as preemption, preemption of home rule. So there's a set of rules at the state level governing firearms. But these emergency provisions are basically a loophole. They're they're a loophole at the state level. They're a loophole at the local level. And this is what people don't understand. We have just slightly short of 2,300 cities, villages, and townships in Ohio. And virtually all of them have emergency provisions that allow the mayor or the city manager to declare emergencies. And I know that they have that uh, locally where I live, and I addressed that with the city uh, council and ended up being able to get that changed. But we can't do that city by city all over the place. You know, you play whack-a-mole. So this is going to solve a huge number of potential problems for emergencies. And frankly, just any time that cities are wanting to pass laws under the guise of whatever it is, you know, their excuse is. And and this solidifies the idea that we have one set of laws, it's at the state level, period. And... It doesn't matter if you're a city, a village, a township. You can't regulate firearms at the local level ever. That's right. 
I mean, I really view it as a key piece of legislation protecting gun rights in the state. And, you know, that bill was introduced fairly early this session. And, you know, I'm at a loss at this point to explain why they haven't, why it hasn't gotten any farther yet. The bill's had three hearings in the Senate, uh, Senate Bill 185, but the House bill hasn't got, hasn't received a hearing yet. And so, you know, uh, second only to constitutional carry, this is a piece of legislation that just needs to be done. How many sponsors are on the SB 185? The first, I mean, it was like, was it 60 sponsors and co-sponsors? Yeah, Yeah, we were, we were just shy of 60 in the house. And I think we were, you know, maybe 14 in the Senate. So, you know, more than half in the house, almost half in the Senate. And that brings to light one of the real questions about, you know, the difference between sincere elected officials, which we, we, you know, we work with many of those and politicians, you know, who are a little bit different breed, right? So, Putting your name on the bill indicates to gun owners that you support the bill. But the truth is, that doesn't really matter if the bill never comes to a vote, right? So when you've got more than half of the Ohio House that says they're for this bill, that indicates to gun owners, you know, me included, that this bill should move. And so I I think, you know, we're at a point this session where there needs to be a sense of urgency to get some of our priorities done. And the emergency bill, you know, is a great example of that. Well, another great example is this third bill that we're going to discuss, HB 99. I mean, this is this is a tragedy, Rob. This is the bill that would exempt armed school personnel from police training. What What's basically happened with this is we had a situation in Ohio where Ohio law actually said you you could have armed teacher, armed staff members in schools. And this was happening all over. And then there were Bloomberg lawyers who came in, started a lawsuit. And this suit, you know, took some twists and turns, but eventually they got a decision that that couldn't happen unless you had over 700 hours, 700 hours to carry a firearm in a school. Ridiculous. And and what that's based on is the OPATA training. In other words, the training that police officers take. Now, I just want to put this in perspective. So teachers, and I, and I looked this up, in Ohio, if you're a professional teacher working at a public school, you generally need to do continuing professional development, right? You know, you, so you get your teaching degree, but you have to keep taking classes and keep learning. So teachers need, on average, about 36 hours of professional development per year. 36. And I I believe the licenses, the teaching licenses are five years. So if a teacher wants to carry in school and has to have 700 hours of training, and they're generally able to put in about 36 hours a year, do the math on that. That is over 19 years, almost 20 years to complete the 700 hours of police training. And Rob, here's the really nasty part. The OPATA training for police officers at currently, to the best of my knowledge, has nothing in it about active shooters. That's additional training that police officers need. And I talked to Greg Elifritz about this, who's a friend of BFA. He writes a lot of articles that appear on our website. And I asked him, is there anything in the training? When you come out of the police academy, do you know anything about active shooters? And he said, there's really nothing in that train, that 700 hours. It's about Ohio law. It's writing reports. 
It's, you know, the proper way to put people in handcuffs and driving your car and all this kind of stuff that you have to do to become a police officer, none of which has anything to do with dealing with active killers in school. So teachers would need to do training for about 20 years. 20 years. That Most of your teaching career is over by then. You know, you can retire, I think, after 30 years. This, this is beyond insane. This is just a, a way to prevent teachers or administrators or anyone other than a police officer from carrying a firearm in a school. Well, that that's what it's really all about, right? So let's let's set the stage for this. Some people who listen to this podcast, they might not know that there were already schools that had safety plans that allowed teachers and other staff to go armed to protect our kids. It was already occurring. And, and not just a few. There, are, there were thousands of teachers who had this training. Yeah, I mean, and, seven, and, you know, in seventy counties, is that right? Oh, I, I mean, there. Uh, I I don't have it in front of me, but there were. It was just. It was all. I think maybe seventy-seven counties, maybe eighty counties. Yeah. Um. Not only here in Ohio, but but uh, with the if we're talking about the faster training that our foundation does, they they were even in other states. So this yeah. was a very big deal. I you know, after this ruling, as of right now, you know, kids are going back to school. These armed teacher programs are dead. That's right. So right now in our schools, if an af- if an active killer attacks the school district where your kids go to school, there will not be anybody there to protect them unless you happen to be in the same hallway as, you know, a resource officer. Because most schools don't have, you know, six, eight, ten police officers roaming the halls for all day. They have one resource officer. And so you have to hope that person is in the right spot. And quite frankly, you have to hope that they'll engage. Right. So, you know, what the Supreme Court in Ohio did with this decision was make our kids less safe. And the only way to address that is to pass House Bill 99, which would clarify once again, clarify in crystal clear language, since the Supreme Court apparently can't read plain language in our opinion, that if a teacher wants to go armed and the school district wants to allow that to happen, that we can do that. And, and I think it's, it's just essential to get this done. And, and, you know, yet again, you know, they're, they're back from summer recess. If they pass the bill today, you still wouldn't have armed staff in the schools until basically the first of 2022. And that's, that's, uh, that's a shame. And, and just to clarify, HB 99 is not, you know, mandating that teachers are armed. It's not like someone is standing by the front door and as the teachers file in, someone's there with a box of Glocks handing them out, right? right? This is people who already have probably a significant amount of experience with firearms. They're volunteering for these programs. And all this bill is about is returning the control to the school district and allowing them to deal with their security in the way that they see fit. That's right. and, and allow them to adapt their safety plan to the people that they might want to allow. So, it, you know, it's not just... They're going to pass a, a school regulation that says anybody can carry. And literally, they, they make decisions on what type of training they want their people to have. And depending on who their potential armed teachers might be, they could adapt differently, right? You, you might have a person who's freshly home from, you know, two years of serving in Afghanistan. You don't need to teach them how to handle a firearm. So House Bill 99 would allow the individual school districts to make that decision and, uh, you know, every day that goes by, our kids are in school and they're largely unprotected. And I, I think 
you know, the, the legislature needs to get on the stick and get that done. So Rob, I, I just want to return to this thing that you mentioned a little earlier. And this is something that we see every legislative session. These bills seem to have a lot of support. You know, when we have what we would call pro-gun bills, pro-liberty bills, but very often they get put off to the last months of the session. I thought that was interesting that you were talking about that. And I, and I got to say, and I'm not really calling anyone out here, but I'm just wondering, do Republicans take gun owners for granted? Because they're dealing with all of these other issues. They're dealing with, you know, vaccines and masks and, and elections and all this other stuff. They all claim that they're, you know, hard and fast Second Amendment supporters. But why do our bills get put off so often until the last days of the legislative session where then it's a scramble to try to get all the votes and get things passed. And if there's a veto, that becomes difficult to override it. I mean, everything is more complicated. And we're going into an election, and this seems to always be the case. You know, we're, we're in it right now. We're already seeing commercials on TV. And next year, we're going to be deep in it. We're going to be neck deep in an election next year. Why would we be dealing with these priority bills next year? Why not do them now? It's a bad recipe, that's for sure. So, you know, let's tackle your your hard question first. You know, do do the members of the General Assembly respect gun owners or do they take us for granted? You know, we've gotten some of our biggest stuff done in lame duck. I mean, you, you know, let's be fair. Uh, we repealed the duty to retreat during lame duck last year. And so I don't think it's fair to say that they 100% take us for granted but I do think it's fair to say that they like to put off the controversial stuff until after the election so that it's not a, a campaign issue. And so that always puts us, you know, we're running the two minute offense here at the very last minute to try to pull this thing out. And maybe in a lot of years, we could keep going down that road, getting stuff done because we've got a lot of stuff done that way. This year's different. Uh, uh, you know, if we wait until after the primary, you know, a lot of elected officials, you know, feel like they have to stay loyal to conservatives, you know, in the lead up to a primary. Once they're through the primary and they're the nominee, I think some legislators, they ask that question whether they do it out loud or not. Well, you know, where are gun owners going to go, right? If we don't do what they want, where are they going to go? They're going to vote for Nan Whaley. And, and so there's part of the concern for me is that, you know, they, uh, they think we're trapped and we, we must vote for them. But you have to ask yourself this question, I think. I think it's a fair question. They depend on us for votes at election time, and we depend on them for votes on our key legislation. It's a two-way street. And given the stakes for this particular session, especially constitutional carry, I think you know gun owners need to really assert themselves that we'd like to see these priorities dealt with so that we don't squander this opportunity, you know, at the last minute during lame duck and ultimately not get it done. Well, then there's the issue of endorsements. I mean, I, I got to think, you, Rob, you and I both sit on the BFA endorsement committee. Mm -hmm. We do greats. We, we do endorsements. So candidates will come to us and want our endorsement. How exactly do we endorse if, they're, if we see them not moving our bills? I mean, it's easy enough to answer a question on a survey and say, yeah, I support constitutional carry, but they're not advancing our bill. I mean, how, how, do, we, how do we handle grades and endorsements in that kind of situation? Well, it's tough, isn't it? You know, uh, I mean, you can look back at the past and, 
You know, you can see guys that have voted for key bills that we've had in the past. And, and certainly, I think the endorsement committee is, you know, uh, is going to consider those things. But when we have something as fundamental as constitutional carry in front of them, and, you know, it, it hasn't advanced in the House, uh, we've got a brand new bill now in the Senate. You know, I think it's a fair question to ask whether they're going to come through or not. When you have a bill like House Bill 99, where we know our kids are in schools unprotected and the bill hasn't moved, you know, even though it's been out there for a while, I think it's a fair question. Because those of us on the endorsement committee, I mean, let's face it, you know, BFA supporters, they look at our grades, they look at the way we endorse these people, and, and we get held accountable for what these legislators do. So it's a tough question. I, I think the simplest route for me is, you know, pass constitutional carry uh, because it's our top priority. You know, let's get it done. Yeah, I think that would uh, that would count for quite a few points on their grade if they were to support constitutional carry and get that passed because there's nothing stopping them from doing that. Nothing. They need to start taking action. We need to start uh, getting our folks to talk to them. And we'll be dealing with that in the near future. So these are our top bills. Rob, we've got uh, constitutional carry, specifically SB 215. We have the uh, limit government power during emergencies, which is SB 185 and HB 325. And we've got the one on armed school personnel, HB 99. These are our absolute top priorities and it's our intent to get all of these passed. And hopefully, if you're listening, you'll be able to help us out a little bit with that and contact your legislators. And uh, we'll probably get an alert out, have something in our newsletter to make that easy for you to do. So, Rob, thanks for being on the podcast again to talk about all this. I'm I'm uh, looking forward to getting back to work, getting back down to the state house, and seeing these bills move as we move into the fall. Well, I'm looking forward to it also, and I'm looking forward to, uh, to getting these things done. That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at BuckeyeFirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to JoinBFA.org. Use the discount code PODCAST to get $10 off your membership. That's joinbfa.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.